means you don't have to watch me hobble around. You just watch me spin. <laughs> Sermon's just got a whole lot better. <laughs> but welcome to today. I'm going to try and behave myself with this chair. Um, today is the last of our series of spiritual disciplines. And over the last couple of months, we've looked at a range of different areas that I've suggested as spiritual disciplines. And we define spiritual disciplines as things that we need to work on in conjunction with the Holy Spirit in order to grow at so we can know and reflect God better. Which sounds like a mouthful, but hopefully we're recording this. You can go back and listen to it on YouTube. And just hit rewind a few times. But basically it's things we're not good at that we need to get better at and so we ask God for help at, but we consciously aim to improve on so we can know and reflect Christ better. That's what spiritual disciplines are. And we went out, we've gone over a number of them, some of the more typical ones and some of the ones that we may not have naturally thought as a spiritual discipline, such as love and worship and generosity, aren't usually thought of as spiritual disciplines. They're thought of as other things. But then we've looked at some normal ones, such as quiet times and prayer and what we called Todd's and fellowship last week with Graham and serving. And so today we're going to be looking at disciple-making slash discipleship. And they're two slightly different things. They're two sides of the one coin, but that's what we're going to look at today. Discipleship and disciple-making. And I hope that through the course of this series that you've been challenged by one or two of these areas and that within the series you've gone, actually, I want to explore this idea further, this discipline further. I want to get better at that. I want to grow at that. And hopefully you've been challenged to do so and taken steps to do so. And so today we wrap up the series with Disciple Making Discipleship, which is a really great way to wrap up the series because all the other ones happen better in terms of growth and growing and understanding and improving in those areas. They all happen better with disciple-making discipleship when understood properly. So let's pray. That you are the God of all. That you know us, you know our shortcomings, you know how inadequate we are, but you want us to know you, you want us to reflect you. And I know your Holy Spirit is here this morning and I pray that The Holy Spirit will open up our eyes and our minds and our ears to what you have to say to us today. In your son's name. Amen. So anyone, everyone should know this. What was Thursday? It was. I was thinking in America and Canada. Thanksgiving, that's right. It was Thanksgiving Day. Anyone know the idea behind Thanksgiving? No, they're not talking about the president. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) 
It was to do with the early settlers. It was Thanksgiving. Thanking God for the blessings and the provision and the, the good things that God has given them. And that's the, that's the foundation of Thanksgiving. That's right. So you've got all this, you've got all this initial stuff about Thanksgiving really focusing people back to God in what God has provided for them, in the people around them, in all sorts of things. It's all about thanking God. Is that how thanks from Australia, respecting the fact that we're in Australia and we really don't do Thanksgiving as such, but as we look in America and we look at what we see from America, it's not quite the same, is it? Anyone know what Friday is? Was? The next day after Thanksgiving. The day after the country stops, supposedly, to thank God for everything that God has done, for the people around them, for the things he's given them. The very next day is Black Friday. Everyone know what Black Friday is? It's the sale of all sales day. It's where every shop becomes a public wrestling ring. And you see footage of people trying on clothes in department stores. They won't go to the change rooms in case they've gotten the wrong size and they have to come back and change it. The rack will be empty by the time they come back. So they're, cha- they're trying on these clothes in the store while other people, and I've, see, I've literally seen footage of this, while other people are actually trying to rip it off them so they can try it on and the clothes end up in half, then they both walk away. That's... <laughs> but Thanksgiving... Thanks, Thanksgiving is followed by Black Friday, the day all about spend, 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 me, 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 money, 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 shop, shop, shop. Does anyone see the irony in that? And then there's another little thing that has started, and it's nowhere near as big as Black Friday, that has also started on Friday, which is also celebrated by, I believe, a growing number of people, but obviously nowhere near as many as Black Friday. It's called Buy Nothing Day, in direct to Black Friday. And so a group of people have decided... This is nuts, and it is, but they've looked at Black Friday and they've gone, that's just sheer crazy. We're starting a day called Buy Nothing Day. And you don't buy a thing. You you don't go to the shops, you don't don't buy something online, you, you buy nothing. You refuse to buy anything. And the reason I point these out is because one is very natural to our human nature and one is not very natural to our human nature. Very natural to our human nature, focus on me. It's all about me. I want what I want to 
my opinion, my thoughts, my beliefs. And this day is not quite so other people. What is your opinion? Your thoughts? You let me listen to you that what you believe without telling you you're wrong. One is natural, one is unnatural. And it's the same with disciple making. Disciple making is very unnatural and discipleship is very unnatural. Jesus said, one of the last things he said before he went off, ascended to heaven after the resurrection, what was one of the very last things he said? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. So if you're disciple making, you have disciples. But if you want to disciple make, you need to be a disciple yourself. <laughs> and any teacher. I'm certain will tell you that kids learn far more if they're teaching another kid. If you want a kid to learn something, one of the best, and I'm not saying it always works because kids are kids <laughs> and they have the attention span of fleas, many. But if you want a child to learn something, and not just a child. If you want anyone to learn anything, get them to teach someone else. It's one of the most effective ways to help people to learn. So you need to be a disciple if you're going to be a disciple maker. So what's disciple making? How do we define disciple making? Well, I'll define it as the practice of encouraging teaching, challenging and serving others so they can grow in their Christian journey and be better followers of Christ. Reflecting him and his light to others in a way that brings growing glory to God. Let me read that again. The practice of encouraging, teaching, challenging and serving others so they can grow in their Christian journey and be better followers of Christ. Reflecting him and his light to others in a way that brings growing glory to God. That's what a disciple maker is. It helps people to journey, draw closer to God. Wherever they're at at that point in time, they may be a Christian, they may not be a Christian. They may know God, they may not know God. They may have been a Christian for 50 years, still have, but yet have the spiritual maturity of a two-year-old Christian, they may have been a Christian for five years but actually have the spiritual maturity of a 45-year-old Christian. Wherever they are on that journey, disciple-making is helping them grow in that by encouraging, challenging, leading so they can reflect Christ better. So the next obvious question is who should be doing this? Who should be disciple-making? Is it just the pastor's job because he's on the big bucks? <laughs> As 
we'll see next week with the budget when it's put out. <laughs> or should everyone be involved in disciple making? Everyone. It's not just a pastor's job. It's an everyone job. And as we've said, as you disciple others, be a disciple maker, you yourself should be a disciplee. Just like the disciples were of Jesus. As we read about, as Cheryl read for us very nicely in the Luke reading, Jesus went away, he prayed, and he chose 12. Now, he didn't just have 12 people following him around. He had literally hundreds of people who were his disciples. He sent out the 12 at some points in the Gospels, but he also sent out the what? 72, very close. But yes, he sent out a far greater range than just the 12. They were his disciples. They went out, they preached, the kingdom has come. So what is it? Well, what it is is the 12 disciples as we know it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the rest, right? The disciples were his inner 12 that he spent the most time with. And even within that 12, he had three special ones, which were the inner, inner disciples, which were Peter, James, John. They were his inner ones, inner, inner disciples. Then you had the 12 disciples. Then you had the other disciples. Jesus had layers of disciples, how much time he spent and how much he taught and revealed so that there was a structure because he knew that he could not disciple 300 people by himself. So he was trying to multiply himself. You cannot disciple 300 people by yourself. But if you disciple someone and they disciple someone and that's how the kingdom grows. So why have I suggested it become a be thought of as a spiritual discipline? Because it doesn't come naturally. Disciple making with a view to helping people grow towards Christ and being a disciple ourselves admitting we don't know it all and putting ourselves under someone else who is more spiritually mature than us does not come naturally. You can say, oh, yes, it does. It's a rare person who has the humility to genuinely, readily, honestly think that. A very humble person. Most people will give it lip service, but when it comes time to actually doing it on a weekly basis, it doesn't happen. If that sounds brutally harsh, well, you're sitting down. <laughs> I'm not going to take it back. Being a disciple and being a disciple maker is not an easy task, but it's one that we need to do if we are to reflect Christ, if we are to grow in the other spiritual disciplines as love, worship, generosity, celebration, quiet times, prayer, Todd days, all, all these other ones and, and ones we haven't even spent time on. If we're to grow in our relationship with Christ, then this is the one we need to master. 
put the pride away. So what are we discipling in? What are we, whether we're a, as disciple makers, if we're going to become disciple, disciple makers and help other people to grow in their journey, whether they're already a Christian or not, what are we discipling in? In What did Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations. Or what's this? What are we teaching them? The gospel. We're teaching them first the gospel. What's gospel? The good news. What's the good news? That let's go through it. Let's actually spend some time looking at what the gospel is. Before there was anything, you had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were together. They were per- in perfect relationship with each other. They had perfect love. That It was perfect. They needed nothing. Not a cracker. Not a thing. They had everything they could possibly want. But because there was so much love there, because they are a creative God, three people, one God, they created They created the heavens, they created the earth, they created everything on the earth, under the earth, above the earth, and they put us as humans on the earth to rule over the earth, which is a whole sermon in itself, and to live under God. They gave humans a free will. Why? Because they wanted a relationship. They didn't want a robot ship. They didn't want to have something that just went, we love you, God, because that's what they were programmed to say. And the only way you can have a relationship and have someone say they love you and mean it is if they have the true opportunity to say, no, I don't love you, get lost. They have to have that choice, otherwise it's not a relationship. And God wanted a relationship. So he gave us as humans the choice to say, take a hike. At some point early in Humans' existence on earth, and you can, whether you define creation as a literal six days or not, we can have another sermon about that another day. We're not going down that track today, nor are we going down the track of if it was a literal Adam and Eve in a literal garden and a literal tree or not. We're not doing that today. But early in creation, humans told God, We took our free will and we said, Take a hike. And we rejected God. And we said, we know better than you, God. We want to go things our own way. And God, being the God of free will, of love, went, you have made your choice. And that's what brought what the Bible calls sin into the world. Rejecting God, putting ourselves in place of God, putting something before God. That is sin in a real simple definitional nutshell. And so at that point, humans were in a broken relationship with God. We could not access God anymore. We can't go to God openly at that point and say whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, because our relationship with God is broken because of our choice to sin. But God is so perfect in his love, despite the fact he's also so perfect in holiness and truth and righteousness, and those two hold in attention that we cannot fully understand as created beings. His 
perfect holiness and his perfect love and grace, they are in attention. They work because it's God. And in his perfect love, along with his perfect holiness, he starts working through a particular nation out of grace, not out of anything they have done, called Israel, to bring about a restoration of the relationship that we broke. And the Bible is not a full picture of God. The Bible is what God has chosen to reveal to people through the nation of Israel over time and then in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. That is not everything there is to possibly know about God. That is everything that God thinks we need to know in order to know him. But there is far more about God that is outside this, this Bible. You may not have ever thought of that idea before. But as created finite beings, there is far more to an infinite God than we can possibly comprehend in our finite brains. Sorry, <laughs> but it's true. So through the Old Testament, God is starting to reveal himself to bring all of humankind back to himself. That culminates in the coming of Jesus, who is Jesus, Jesus, God the Son. Back before anything was created, God the Son had a say in the entire creation. It was done through him, as John 1 says. In other words, before anything existed, as they started talking, however they started to talk about creation and what it would look like and all the rest, however God did that outside of time and outside of space and outside of our comprehension, however that happened, God the Son knew that if they went down this track, he was going to have to come into time as Jesus, be born as a baby, live as a human being, suffer and be tempted in every way, just like we are, and then die on the cross for something he didn't do. And pay the price, shed his blood for us. That he knew that before creation even happened, and he said, okay. That's the love. And it's because Jesus came from God to earth to live to die, to rise again, that we have the opportunity for a restored relationship with God. Does it mean we are absolutely perfect right here now? No, we still make dumb decisions, but we are forgiven. And we have the opportunity, we have God living in our hearts each day with the Holy Spirit, who is guiding us, shaping us, challenging us, moulding us, telling us we're good, telling us we're idiots, telling us that was a smart decision, telling us, you're kidding. Did you just really do that? The Holy Spirit travels with us each and every day to help us to grow. It's a promise and a down payment on what it's going to be like after we pass through this world and we spend eternity with God. Heaven is not some magic place. You know what heaven is? It's being with God. It's being in the presence of God. That is heaven. Everything else, the, the gold streets, the trees, the clear water, the gold bricks, whatever. That's bonus. If that's not there, I don't care. Because heaven is actually 
the presence of God. That's heaven. And that's what we're promised if we live in a relationship with God, if we accept the offer of forgiveness, but we have to accept it. And one day Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to come back one day and every single person who's ever walked the face of this planet is going to have to give an account of what they've done, what they haven't done. And you know what? Every single person on their own merits is going to fail. I'm going to fail, you're going to fail, Joe Bloggs down the road is going to fail. It's going to be a dead set massacre except for one thing. Those who accepted Christ, those who gave their life to Christ will be able to stand, not because of how good they are, but because of the fact that Christ paid the price for them. And one of the greatest problems with the world, that's the gospel right there. That's the good news. But one of the greatest problems with the world today, and it's happening in Europe a lot, but it happens right across the West, and many people, it's not just a European thing, but it's being reminded to me for various reasons we won't go into, but across the world at the moment, what's happening is that kids are being baptised as babies. They're being sprinkled with water or they're going to the Catholic Church and doing their first Holy Communion. They've never been to church before that point and they don't go back to church after that point, but they do their first communion they go, oh, I'm a Christian now. No, you're not. There was nothing special about that water you got hit with as a baby. There's nothing special about the water that I'll hold you under if you come to me and go, I want to be baptised. I'll even let you come back up again for air. But there's nothing special about that water. There's nothing special about your first communion as such. Next week, it's the 4th of December, we're going to have communion here at church. Catherine's going to be leading it. But guess what? You could race out the front eat every single piece of bread on that plate, drink every single cup of grape juice, and it doesn't make a rip of difference to your standing before God. Because the gospel is only effective if it takes place in your heart. And that's the bottom line. If you have not accepted Christ into your heart, if you have not then gone, every single day I'm going to walk with Jesus I'm going to learn more about Jesus. I'm going to reflect Jesus more to my family, to my friends, to my work colleagues, to everyone I come in contact with. No, I'm not perfect. When I first became a Christian, let me tell you this story. When I first became a Christian, it was a week before my 16th birthday. I'd grown up in a non-Christian home. I'd been going to youth group for a couple of years. I'd heard little 10-minute devotions at the end of youth group each week. Okay. And eventually, over a couple of years, I'd built enough of a picture of this Jesus, God, person thing to go, yeah, I want to follow that. I, I want to know more about that. I'm going to commit my life to that, right? The second I became a Christian, two things happened. And I'll never forget it. The first was that I had this unquenchable urge to work for God. I had no idea what that looked like because I was in an open brethren church at the time or the youth group was an open brethren youth group. Open brethren don't believe in pastors. So I've never seen a pastor in my life. I don't even, I've heard of them kind of like Anglicans have ministers or whatever. But So I've got no idea what it looks like but I've got this unquenchable thirst. 
all of a sudden, I want to work for God. The other thing I had was I had this burning desire that everybody had to know and hear about this God that I just committed to. Everybody. And let me tell you, everybody I came into contact with heard about him. And none of it was diplomatic. (laughs) I was brutally blunt. (laughs) But they heard about him. (laughs) But if you honestly know God, then you will want to tell others. If you honestly have been had your heart and your mind and your life touched by Jesus, you will want others to know about him. You will have that burning in your heart. Because he is so good. That is the gospel. And as disciple makers, that is what we are encouraging others to hear, learn and then base their lives on. If you're a disciple, then that is what you are learning and growing in more and more and more. That is the foundation to everything. God is the foundation. What what does God say to us? What has God done for us? The gospel. What has he done? He has come to earth, he has broken into time for no benefit to himself to save us. Can we repay him? No. Not a chance. Can we earn it? No. All we can do is humbly accept it and say thank you. How's the best way to say thank you? By letting it change us to be the people that God wants us to be, by living Jesus out day by day. We should be living lives, and I've said it before, we should be living lives that confuse the tripe out of people. In a world that's so messed up, in a world that is just going beyond laughable in so many different ways, in a world that is rejecting Jesus and God and the church more and more and more and more, we should be filled with a joy and a peace that confuses everyone. We should stand out like sore thumbs. So many people in the church want to water down what we believe because it's so offensive to society. No, we should stand out. We should be different. Why? Because we are different. We have a different foundation. And that's what disciple-making and discipleship's about, growing in these things. Am I getting across? If you look at the Bible, there are plenty of examples about discipleship and people who are discipling others. There's all sorts of examples, and there's good examples and there's some bad examples. And I've probably gone a bit longer than planned on that middle section, and so we're not going to look at too many examples, but let me just run through some. I was thinking maybe we could have a bit of a chat about it, but I've gone over time. But what about, So we've read about Jesus and the 12, okay? Jesus chose 12 men to be his disciples. Now, as we've discussed, there were 72 and there was more than 72, okay? Does anything in that 12, Jesus chose 12 disciples to reflect him and know him better, does any does something in that strike you as odd? Confusing? Judas. Thank you. Judas. Jesus 
chose Judas, knowing he was going to actually betray him. Yet he still chose him as one of the twelve, and on the night that he was betrayed, he actually washed Judas' feet before Judas went out, knowing full well that in just in a few hours' time, it was going to be Judas who led the soldiers to arrest Jesus. And we spent plenty of time over, the, over previous sermons talking about what it meant to wash feet and how lowly a job it was. But Jesus did that to Judas. That's disciple-making. There's no pride. It's modelling what is best for the person so the person can know God best. That's disciple-making. There's other examples. What about Barnabas and Paul? That went pretty well for a few years, didn't it? Paul becomes a follower and shows great promise and then Barnabas hears how well he's doing and so he brings him across to where Barnabas is and for a year they knock all the Jews flat. Then they get sent off, do their first uh, missionary tour, their, their, their first pilgrim around Asia Minor, come back. We have the council in Acts 15 talking about whether Gentiles should be circumcised or not and all that sort of stuff. And then they decide, let's take off again and revisit all the churches. And they have this big blow-up, Barnabas and Paul. The boss and the apprentice. Barnabas the boss, Paul the apprentice. They have this big old-fashioned brouhaha, which gets pretty serious. And they go, ciao. Now, is that ideal? No, but God used it. Because now he's got two teams working and serving his churches. So discipleship and disciple-making can go sour at times. It has that potential. But humility is always a key. Genuine dedication to helping people grow in their relationship with Christ is a key. You've got Paul and Timothy. You've got Moses and Joshua. You've got Samuel and Saul. How did that one go? Samuel the prophet and Saul, the first king of Israel. Not, not so well. Didn't really start that well, if we're going to be brutally honest. But didn't go so well. And even to appoint Samuel and King David for a little while, there was a bit of, I would suggest there was a bit of discipling going on as well. So to wrap this up, how does this look in our lives? A, if you're going to disciple someone, you need to be discipled by someone. How many people are being discipled by someone at the moment? How many people think it's important? So then everyone in the church is doing it already, right? So what do you look for in someone then? If, if everyone thinks it's important but no one's actually really doing it that committedly or willing to admit it, what are you looking for? Someone who's, I, obviously, more mature than you, spiritually speaking, 
chronological age has got nothing to do with it. I've seen people who have been Christians for 70 years who are dead set still on spiritual milk. Okay? They've been Christians for 70 years and they're still on spiritual milk. They're babies in the faith. And I've seen other people who have been Christians for three years who I would honestly be willing to put as an elder of a church and lead the church because they are so mature spiritually after just three years. Okay? And they were 34. Age, chronological age got nothing to do with it. It's how mature a person is in Christ. They need to be more mature than you if they're going to lead you and help you and hold you accountable. They need to be trustworthy. They need to be helpful. They need to be loving. They need to be wise. They need to know what the word confidential means. If you're going to have a disciple relationship with someone where you're expect, and this is part of being discipled, you being brutally honest with someone, you actually telling them the truth, not what you think they want to hear, but you tell them what is actually going on. If you're going to do that, then they need to know what confidential is. And not you reveal to them, I'm really struggling with such and such. And then all of a sudden next week, four people come up to you. I hear you're struggling with. Well, what are you going to do next time? You're not going to tell them the truth, are you? So you need to be truthful and they need to know what confidentiality is. But if you're going to disciple someone else, you need to be discipled. So the challenge for this week is this. If you are already being discipled by someone, and you, then what I suggest you do is call them up this week, meet up for a coffee somewhere. Have a chat. Have a meeting this week. Thank them for their time, their efforts, their prayers, their inputs into your life. It's a tough gig being a disciple maker. And so if you're being discipled by someone, you ring them this week and say, thank you so much. And shout them a coffee. Don't spill it on them. If you're not currently being discipled by someone, here's your challenge for the week. Get one. Call someone up. Pray about it first. Call someone up. Will you please disciple me? Keep me, help me to grow. Can we please meet up and have a chat? And so as someone calls you, you then need to go, okay, I am truly honoured that you have called me. Let me pray about it. How about we meet next, whenever and we'll chat more about it and you need to be praying. But someone has considered you worthy to teach them. So be honoured and be gracious. And if you have not yet accepted the good news, if you are not a Christian according to what we spoke about today, then your challenge is even simpler. Do you base your life on that or not? If you have never, ever heard that before, if you've never actually genuinely committed your life to that before and given your life to that, then come and you want to, come see me. Or come see someone else in the church who you honestly trust.
and we'll sort that out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great and holy God. We thank you that you are the perfect God. You are holy, you are righteous, yet at the same time you are loving and gracious and merciful and we don't understand that but we know that you love us so much that you did not let us stay in our sin. You did not let us stay in our broken relationship but what you did instead was you came to us to restore that for us, Lord. And we thank you so much for that. And I pray that this week we will become a church that disciples each other and encourages each other so we can grow to reflect you more. Because as we reflect you more, we'll confuse the community more. And as we confuse the community more, people will see you in us. And that's what we want. And so we pray to you for that in your son's name. Amen. We're going to have another song now.